You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. It was my first deal by myself, my own contract, my own buyer's contract, my own title company. I'm sweating, wondering if this is going to close, what's going to happen. Is the title company even going to talk to me or are they going to reject me? Because I don't know what's going to happen. But when that closed, I think I was more excited for that one because I was like, wow, I did this on my own. Now I just need to times this. I need to exit. I need to multiply this by four. I need to get this from one deal a month to several deals a month so I can have that assured money, not just relying. Because again, I don't want to get stuck on that paycheck to paycheck, deal to deal thing. I want to get multiple deals on the pipeline so I'm not relying on every, just one deal a month. I want to have security. The We Love Equity Show is brought to you by Azria. Widely recognized as an outstanding resource for real estate investors with exceptional education, networking, and support, along with profit-enhancing benefits and all aspects of real estate investing. Visit Azria at www.azria.org. That's visit Azria at www.azria.org. Hello, We Love Equity family. How are you doing today? On today, guys, I have something special for you. A little bit different, a little bit out of the box, but I know it's going to be rewarding and beneficial for you. So strap on your seatbelts, put your headphones on. If you're flying, you're 30,000 feet in the air. Hey, welcome. Thank you for joining us on today. Also, don't forget to, to click the like button or the subscribe button. Come on, join us. Be a part of that. We love Equity Family because we're giving you tips, tricks, and all kinds of content regarding wholesaling and real estate in general. But on today, we are talking with Anthony Price from St. Louis, Missouri. So he's a Midwestern boy. I'm a Midwestern boy. And we're going to talk about wholesaling. We're going to talk about how to keep it small, but still be effective and still generate revenue with a small team. So everyone talks about the big conglomerates having four and five different acquisitions managers, disposition managers, team of VAs. Well, Anthony is going to give you a different perspective when he's being successful at it. And I think it will be a catalyst for you and your wholesaling business. So Anthony, man, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing good. How are you doing? I am doing great, man. Thank you for being here. Thank you for uh, allowing me to talk to you. So give me a little bit bit of background about you. I know I said you're from St. Louis. You're wholesaling. But what were you doing Mm -hmm. pre your real estate career? Everything under the sun. I I got started back in wholesaling in 2013. Before that, I was just, I was in my mid-20s just trying to make it from job to job. It was hard back then to get a job and hold a job for myself. So just trying to find something different. I I got let go from one of my temp jobs in my young 20s. And I was just looking for something until a family member kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, 
one day, hey, you talked about real estate a lot when you're really young. How about you dive into that or look into that? So I said, sure. And then I started looking into becoming a real estate agent. So I kind of tri- tripped into this whole wholesaling thing when I was researching how to get my license, how much it would cost and how long it would take and what I need to do to be a successful agent. And I was just going on YouTube and researching that. Well, just one day I happened to be researching that. And then on the other little right-hand side, there were some videos on make 10 grand in seven days and wholesaling. And I was just, you see a lot of that. I mean, yeah. especially, especially when you're poor, you seem to see a lot more of it than you do when, you, when you're not poor. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm never going to click on that. And I clicked on it. I went ahead and clicked on it. And <laughs> Brilliant, I got, huh? Yeah. I was like, I'll see what it's, I'll see what it's about. So I ended up clicking on it. I forgot who it was at the time, but they were going off about, you know, wholesaling and contracts. And I'm from originally a small town of 700. So in mid Missouri here, there's not many houses in a, in a town of 700 people. Yep. And so just, just going through that and that kind of put me down the rabbit hole for the next two months of just watching every single video I could on wholesaling. What is it? What do I need to do? What are contracts? How do you market? How do you find buyers? All that stuff. Yeah, I knew that that I can't be successful in my, my little market of 700 people. So the two cities I had closest to me were Kansas City and St. Louis because I was smack dab in the middle of my state. Okay. And so, and so how I got started was, okay, I need to learn how to do this. So I reached, I sent about four or five emails to, uh, and I went on Google and I, I sent emails to big uh, investment companies that I found in one of those markets. One guy got back to me. Basically, I said, I'll do anything you want. I just want to learn the business. You don't even have to pay me. I just basically want to be an apprentice. Like that's how hungry I was. That's how tired of being broke I was. I was living with a, I was living with a family member. I was tired of just, just having, I guess, just this bad misfortune all the time. And I just wanted to get out and, and just be my own man. And so one guy got back to me. He said, what funny story. Uh, I'm actually looking for some help. How about you come up here and we'll sit down, we'll talk, maybe drive around, look at some houses and see how you could help me find deals. Long story short, it worked out. I moved to St. Louis, ended up getting started. And for probably about the next year and a half, I worked for him basically as a glorified bird dog slash acquisitions manager, helping finding him deals to either fix and flip, do rental properties, wholesale. I even, I even ran like the little MLS division there trying to find deals on the MLS back in the day when there was tons of HUDs and foreclosures and things like that. And that's really how I cut my teeth on finding deals. And, and, and I would wholesale the deals to, to the buyers that we had at the time. And that's how I kind of cut my teeth on the whole operation. And then later off, like I said, probably about a year, year and a half after doing that, I formed my own business. And I think that was in 2013 or 14. And it's just been awesome ever since. It's funny that you talk about it because we have similar backgrounds. Because when I first moved to Phoenix, I didn't know the market or anything like that. And I was out here trying. Similar to you, I saw some videos. Actually, I was listening to Bigger Pockets driving mm-hmm. over from Illinois to Phoenix and they were talking about direct mail. And I was like, well, why, this is a real estate show. Why are they talking about direct mail? And the more and more I started to dig into it, they were talking about wholesaling and similar story, but I got out here, started doing things, trying to make things happen. And somebody kind of pulled me in and was like, Hey, but I do need some help. And that's when I started being an acquisitions yeah. manager and then I fell into it. I Very similar. It. Yep. And I started saving my money and I was like, okay, thank you for all of the education. 
um, yep. let me go out here and do my own thing. So, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. If you can ever get under somebody in, in, in your local market and just kind of apprentice and just learn the ins and outs, because not only did I have to learn, learn wholesaling, but I had to learn real estate, all the terminology. What's what's even under contract mean? What's yeah. escrow? What's what's title companies? How do you interact with those people? So that really taught me just the little nuances of real estate. So when it, when I was ready to kind of start my own company, my own business, I, I already had all the, the beginnings of it. Now yeah. I just needed to learn. Yeah, now I just needed to polish the edges and learn the best marketing, the best, you know, way to build buyers list, the best way to hire virtual assistants, all that stuff to kind of just grow it from there. That's very key. And I'm glad we kind of started here is because a lot of people, they start at YouTube university. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then they figure I'm just going to learn everything I can on YouTube and then I'm going to get out there and I'm just going to do it. But you took a different approach. You said, let me just call up some of these people. And this is the same thing that yeah. I teach people and coach people on is find out who that major player is in your market, or even it's a virtual player, reach out to them and say, hey, look, I may not have much money, but I got the, I got the grit, I got the grind, and I let me go out here and try and find deals. And that's the best way for you to learn. Yeah, you can sit behind the computer, guys. You can listen to me on these podcasts. You can listen to all of these other people on YouTube, but you really don't get the crux of what you're doing until you're out there so you yeah. have to make those mistakes and go through those those errors and stuff like that. And like you said, kind of polish the edges and cut your teeth on a few deals. So, mm -hmm. um, Anthony, tell me about once you once that guy brought you in, what did you have to do first? What what was your your daily task? So my daily tasks were basically to show up to the office and find deals. That was that was number one because I was getting paid a, a commission to base out of whatever proceeds, if we would wholesale it or rehab it or whatever. So, and I, and I was still broke, even though he offered me the position, I, I still had to produce the deals or else I wasn't getting paid. Yep. So I, my number one thing was to find deals and uh, I didn't have any money for marketing. The, the person that I was kind of under wasn't really paying for my marketing. So I had to find free ways of kind of finding some deals. And one of those ways was, well, he was, a, he was a, an agent. So I was like, well, I have access to the MLS now. So number one thing was get on the MLS. That's free. Start looking at uh, things I can go look at, maybe put in offers. And that's what we did. So I would help get offers accepted on the MLS, whether they were just owner properties or if they were bank foreclosures, you kind of had to uh, watch out for those because only investors can buy those after a certain period yeah. of time, after owner occupants had their option or time to look at them. So did that for the longest time. Also, one thing I got really good at was, so he already had a little bit of a buyer's list and then he would get offered his own offers accepted, whether, cause he would always go to the courthouse auction steps and get auction properties throughout whatever other marketing he was doing. I noticed that he would need help selling his deals. So I kind of took over the dispositions side of it as well sometimes and uh, help him sell his deals through the, the buyer's list that we had. And so I got really good at knowing, okay, where do I get the maximum exposure to sell this wholesale deal, basically? Yep. You know, I, so I would write down a checklist. Okay, step one is we need to text this out to all the buyers. Step two is we need to email all the buyers. Step three is we need to post this property on every single real estate investment Facebook group to get it sold quickly because local real estate and Facebook groups are already pre-made buyers list built for you. You don't have to do anything. I mean, there's thousands of people in, a, in say, Phoenix, for example, or something. There's, there's tons of Facebook groups. You post your property on there, that's already thousands of buyers already built yep. up for you. Done. Yep. 
I mean, you don't even, you barely even need a buyer's list. So let me jump in here real quick, Anthony, because I don't want to gloss over this because this is very, very important. And I tell people this is, like you said, you had this guy that was willing to pull you up under his wings and you had access to the MLS. I always tell people, and this is one of the things that I did, got getting started. I had a mm-hmm. person and he was like, well, we, we're just trying to find deals. And I was like, well, I can, let me help you. But I didn't have any money for marketing or anything like that. I happened yeah. to stumble upon this really, really aggressive realtor who was not really just starting out, but really didn't have a, a huge client base. And mm-hmm. we just started putting in offers on deals on the MLS. And I, and I contacted right. that. And guys, this is something that you can do in, in any market. I contacted that the person that was over me and I said, hey, but I keep hearing about this proof of funds and everything like that. Proof of funds. I said, but uh-huh. I want to be able to put these, go dig through the MLS and put in offers mm-hmm. on properties on the MLS. I said, but I can't do that because a savvy realtor is going to say, well, I need to see that you have the capital or the liquidity to buy this property cash. So mm-hmm. what they did was they offered me, they gave me basically the proof of funds and I was writing up those contracts for right. that entity. Mm-hmm. So guys, that's one of the things that you can do. I was doing this right when the market started turning. We was getting some of those foreclosures and things like that. Not sure if it's possible now, but that's still a shot if you don't have any money to get started. Can you can you just... Scratch the surface on that a little bit for us, Anthony. Yeah, and when I was doing the same thing, and basically I was using the person I was under at the time, I was using his proof of funds, so that was that was you know pretty easy. Hey, here's the proof of funds. If it gets accepted, great, let us know. We'll get everything you know rocking and rolling on it. When I was putting in offers, I would basically log into the MLS. I would look at the active listings for that day, so I saw exactly what hit the market that day, and I would be immediately on top of it. I wasn't waiting 24 hours or 48 hours or trying to. I was trying to set it up to where I saw the property come in that day. If we needed to look at it before we made an offer, we did that and we made the offer. We probably made about 20 offers a week minimum. Yep. So that yep. way we could get a couple of those accepted a month. So you have to put in a lot of offers. It's not like you put in a couple and you get them accepted. You put in 20, 18 of them might get rejected. One of them might come back as accepted. And then maybe another one might come back as, well, we can't do this, but we can do this. We and then you, you know, negotiate yep. from there. So, yeah. Yep, very, very key, man. That was that's that's very good. Glad you touched on that. And then also the thing about the buyers list, guys. Get out there. There's everybody cries about, well, what should I do? Should I find a deal or should I find a buyer? Right now, buyers are easy to find. I mean, you can everywhere kick over a rock and stumble into a stumble upon yep. a buyer. So focus yep. on the deal and not so much the buyers because you'll be able to move those deals. So tell me about that first deal. Anthony, let's let's go all the way back to 2013, 2012. What did that first deal look like? So it's kind of interesting. I had two first deals uh, in a way because I had the first deal that I helped the person I was under, right? That was the first deal that I helped him find. That was kind of like my first deal. And then I had my first deal where I started my yep. company and I, I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm on my own. What do I do? And I guess I'm going to put out bandit signs. And that's how I got my first deal. So okay. I'll, I'll kind of tell you t- both of them real quick. So how I found my first deal when I just got started uh, working under the, the person that was I was kind of apprenticing for was basically, I, you know, I was still in my small town, but I had access to Zillow. 
So what I would do is I would go on Zillow. I would look at all the for sale by owners on Zillow. I wrote down every address, every phone number that I could find for every single for sale by owner in, in that area. One by one, I think I had like 40 phone numbers that day. Oh, it was horrible. <laughs> I called every <laughs> single person. The very first person I called yelled at me and said, I will never sell to a real, a real estate investor. Don't ever call me back. This is ridiculous. I mean, I thought I, I was devastated from just the very first real estate phone call. I was devastated. Yep. I was like, oh my gosh, if every single call is going to go like this, I cannot do this. Because I already don't really like talking on the phone, talking to strangers, right? So here I am, very first guy yells at me about being a real estate investor and how he'll never sell to me. Luckily, I was so poor that that wasn't an option. And I had to just keep going. I, I was just like, I'm not going to quit. I'm not, I want to change my life. I want to change the life for my future kids. Whenever I have kids, I want to be, I want to be secure in life. I, don't, I just don't want to coast and try to live paycheck to paycheck. Kept calling. I think about the 20th call. There was a house that was worth probably about 125 at the time. The guy was saying it used to be his dad's and he only wanted, I think, 85 for it. So I knew that something was there. Yep. So I took all the information, passed it, passed it along to the guy I was under. And we, we ended up looking at that property. I think got that property under contract for 75, sold it for 85, wholesaled it. And then I got a, a commission out of that. That was kind of my first deal. I didn't do it all because like I said, I was just apprenticing at the time. So I didn't know how to do contracts. So he got the house under contract with the seller, sold it to the buyer, did the title company. And I just got a small commission out of it. So yeah. my very first deal I found was Zillow for sale by owners. Okay. That, and that's funny because when you, when you had to make those initial phone calls, man, you had those sellers that are mad, they're irate and everything like that. And they yeah. just, they just, they just kind of blow everything for you. But like you said, you was hungry. You was tenacious. You said, Hey, no, is not an option for me. I just no. have to keep going. I can't worry about that, about that first guy. It's funny that you talk about it again, guys, I'm telling you, me, this is me and Anthony's first time talking, and our stories are so <laughs> parallel because I have my first two deals. I would say I have yeah. my first that I did with someone, and then I have my first individual deal. So when you had that first one and you're working under someone, you can yeah. say, okay, the responsibility is not on me. If something goes south... I can always go back to the person that's under me and say, okay, what are you going to do to fix this? Or how are mm -hmm. we going to fix this? Mm -hmm. How much did you make on that first deal? I made, so we wholesaled that and uh, it was a $10,000 spread. I ended up making like 2,500 on it. So to me, I mean, I'm used to getting like 300 and something dollar paychecks every two weeks, yep. you know, maybe working at a restaurant or something like that or, or whatever. And so $2,500 to me was, I mean, you, you might as well add another million on top of it. That's how yep. that felt to get that. And I mean, I felt like I could just pay for anything. So that, my, that's my first, my first was 22, five. So okay. 2,250 yeah. bucks. And like you said, I felt like I was on top of the world. I'm like, man, yep. this job works. Let me yeah. work it. So yeah, it, it was, it was, it was proof. That check was proof that this works. It's not just some kind of thing out there on the internet. This, this actually works. I can actually make a living off this. I can, I can do things with this. I can scale this. Yeah. And that, and that was deal number one. And so when people ask me, what was your first deal? I'm always like, okay, which one do I tell them? Yeah. Well, this first deal. My, and the other first deal is, you know, a year after that, year and a half after that, I went off on my own. I was still, I still didn't really have much money because I was only getting small commissions on, on deals yeah. that I was finding. So I didn't have, I was still uh, kind of struggling. And that's kind of another decision of why I had to go off on my own because I knew working under this person 
I wasn't really getting paid that well uh, for doing all the work that I was doing. I wouldn't have mind probably staying there longer. I just needed to, I just needed to go off on my own. And I'm, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I took that jump because I took the last $600 in my account that I had and I spent it on a bandit signs, I believe bandit signs. So I bought a bunch of bandit signs. I think I posted them all around the exits drive until okay. two or three o'clock in the morning, posting them, posting them out there on Friday nights. And then I ended up getting a guy calling me saying he wanted to sell a house. I think I ended up getting that under contract for 43,000 and sold it to somebody else for 47 or something, I believe, and made uh, about $5,000 on that one. So that was my first deal by myself, my own contract, my own buyer's contract, my own title company. I'm sweating, wondering if this is going to close, what's going to happen. Is the title company even going to talk to me or are they going to reject me? I don't know what's going to happen. But when that closed, I think I was more excited for that one because I was like, wow, I did this on my own. Now I just need to times this. I need to exit. I need to multiply this by four. I need to get this from one deal a month to several deals a month so I can have that assured money, not just reliant. Because again, I don't want to get stuck on that paycheck to paycheck, deal to deal thing. I want to get multiple deals on the pipeline so I'm not relying on every, just one deal a month. I want to have security in it. But that that was amazing. That was, again, that was amazing. Okay. So I'm going to give you a little backstory about me. And this podcast is not about me, but I, I just want to share this story. So my first deal, my first independent deal Again, I stepped away from who I was working with and all like a lot of the money that I was making with them, I was just kind of setting it to the side. But a little $900 checks, $1,100 mm-hmm. checks, $2,200, things like that. And, and guys, you're listening. Don't be, con- don't be so concerned with making that $10,000, $15,000 check on your first one or two deals. You got to go through the process. You got to get those... checks, things like that. So my first deal was did some direct mail, sent out the letters. I'm scared, scared as hell because I'm like, okay, it's me on my own. Got the property under contract for 50, turned around and put it on Craigslist guys for 70, got an offer in for 69, 69.5 or whatever. But the reason why I brought this up is because I was scared. I'm calling the title company because right now I'm like, man, dude, is this really going to happen? Am I really going to make $20,000 on this deal or $17,000? Something's going to happen and it's going to explode, right? Yep, that's what, yep, that's what you got saying. it. That's what happened. When I called the title company and I can't remember what the, what the issue was, but then I was like, I was mad at the title company telling them that, oh, I know what it was. They disclosed my assignment fee because I did it as an assignment and not a double Mm -hmm. close. And I didn't Mm -hmm. have the wherewithal and the know to do a double close. And I was like, well, now they're going to walk away from the deal. And, but I'm going to have my attorney to call the title company. If, if this deal doesn't close the title company, owe me this money. So I was just all out of whack, man. But lo and behold, we did get the deal closed. And and that's how I really took that leap forward, man. So yeah. Similar stories. Very, very, very parallel. Very similar. Yeah. You might as well put another million dollars on top of that first check. Yep, that's that's yep. how your first check feels. And then it's just learning systems and processes and automation after that to scale. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what you told me, you told us in the beginning that you were kind of scared to talk to sellers and things like that. How did you get over that? Because you got to be able to talk to sellers in order to get the deals. And I know when I yeah. talk to a lot of people, that's one of the things <laughs> They talk about, well, I'm, I'm an introvert. I really don't like talking to people. How did you get over it? 
I'm a little bit of an introvert as well. I, I just don't like really getting out there much. But still to this day, I really don't like getting on the phone and, and talking to sellers. How I got over it was I outsourced it. <laughs> so that's, that's how I did it. I, I did it. I did it. My first year, two years, I think it was two years wholesaling. I never had a virtual assistant. I really didn't know what a virtual assistant really was. So I was on the phones from 8 a.m. to 8 o'clock at night, pretty much Monday through Monday, Monday through Sunday, weekends, because people call you on the weekends too. And I did not want to lose a deal just because somebody called me Saturday morning and I was supposed to do something. I would still get on that phone and make my calls that day, yep. whether it's follow up, follow up with my cold follow ups, people that I still haven't got a hold of yet, stuff like that. And so I just, I just had to do it. Basically, I had to do it. I was on the, on the phones all the time. Even when I was making those 12 hour days, calling, doing all my follow ups, things like that, trying to get information. I wasn't very comfortable, but, but I did it. I knew that, Hey, it's not, it's not that big a deal. People aren't going to come through the phone and just grab you. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. just a phone call. Uh, worst thing they say is no, and you just move on to the next lead. You have to do this in order to be successful. And I knew, okay, well, if I have to do this, then I have to do this. So I just did it. I kept getting deals, kept getting deals until eventually I was like, I kind of found out that, okay, this is eating up a lot of my time. I'm on the phone from literally eight in the morning to maybe eight o'clock at night. And I gotta, I gotta figure something out. I can't do this forever because I need to work on my business and not in it so much. So that's when I knew, okay, so this is taking up all of my time. I need to do something about this. And that's when I started looking into hiring my first virtual assistant. And uh, thank God, I, thank God I did because that freed up literally eight hour chunks of my day that I can now work on my business and not in it so much. I want to outsource the most time consuming part of my business. And at that time it was making those calls and gathering information about houses. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you did what you had to do. If you, you spent the money on the marketing and you're not just going to let that money fly out the window. So you said, I got to take these phone calls. These calls come in. I, I have to respond. Yeah. I have to take these calls. And I used to tell my wife the same thing. She's like, you're always on the phone. You, you don't talk to yeah. family members, but you'll talk to all of these strangers all day, every day for 12, 15 hours. But I'm like, well, it's an investment. When, you, when you're starting something from the ground up and you're bootstrapping, you have to do whatever you have to you do, do, people, yeah. to get where you need to go. So if that telephone call rings and you're in the middle of the movie theater and you know this could yeah. be a hot lead, guess what? In the beginning, you're jumping out and you're running to the bathroom in the movie theater Hi, Mr. Seller. Yep, I did send you a letter or I did call you. Do you have a property you're interested in selling? If they yep. say no, you just hang up, you go back into the movie theater. <laughs> yeah, and I always felt guilty letting that phone, like if I if somebody called into my system and I did not call them back on a weekend, I felt guilty like, man, I, I'm hurting myself. I'm hurting my, my future family if I do not get on the phone and call that person back because I could be missing out on a $20,000 check if I don't call this person back. And- I still remember to this day that thank God I did because one day somebody did call me on a Saturday night. I remember at 6 p.m. said they had a house for sale. They really wanted to sell it. They, I asked them what the price was and they were already at a really good price. And I, they mentioned something like they had other investors that were wanting to look at it as well. I said, can I see you tomorrow morning? This was Saturday night. Can I see you tomorrow morning? I met the guy out there Sunday morning, got it under contract. I have no even idea. I think it was like 40 something. We sold it. I sold it for 90 something. I can't remember, but it was like a 40 something thousand dollar deal just because I answered that call on a Saturday night. I made 40 something thousand dollars. I mean, to me, that was amazing. You got it, man. And, and like I said, we had parallel stories. So I'm going to give you a quick story. So guys, you guys are listening to 
trading stories. Wholesalers, real estate <laughs> investors, just trading stories on how you got started. So similar to me, I got a call. It was late in the email. It was like six o'clock. I just got the kids home from school, making dinner and stuff like that. So I'm talking to the guy on the phone and he was like, yeah, we got this house. But over the weekend, this was like a Monday or something. Over the weekend, we had a fire at the house. The tenant had a fire at the house and we didn't have any insurance. So that was one red flag. I'm like, okay, right. no insurance. Uh -huh. Then I was like, okay. Then it was like, well, we own the house for years. We inherited it. There's no mortgage or anything like that. So that was another red flag. I was like, okay, mm -hmm. no mortgage, fire damage house, no insurance. I said, you know what? It's late in the evening. If you guys are around the house, I can meet you there right now. Now, mind you, I'm 45 minutes away. Mm -hmm. He said, sure, come, because we're going to have some other investors come by and take a look at it. Hopped in the car immediately, drove 45 minutes, walked through the property, fire damage, tore up everything. I really didn't even know what to offer because that house was in such horrible condition. Right. Made the offer. Didn't have the contract with me. So I drove 45 minutes back. Oh no. Got a contract. They drove 45 minutes back, met them at their house, signed a contract, and it was a $35,000 deal. Awesome. You awesome. know, <laughs> so yeah. again, yeah, guys, you got to do what you got to do. I remember on my appointment, the one on that uh, story I was saying, I remember the guy saying he didn't really want to sign the contract because he had a couple of other, you know, people coming. And, and I don't fault them for that. And I was just, I was, I was like, okay, we need to get this done. Because especially if I met you on the weekend, like I really want to get this done. Yeah. <laughs> so basically one of the, one of the questions I just asked was, okay, where, where do I need to be at for you to sign today? To get this closing process started, just where do I need to be at so we can get a deal done? I'm, I'm here. You have a willing an able cash buyer right in front of you. I'm interested in the property. Where do I need to be at so we can get this deal done? And luckily he said a number that we could, I could work with and was able to work with him and then get it under contract that day. And then he, he called the other buyers that were supposed to come and cancel their appointments. And I was able to get that under contract and sell that for a nice profit. So that was there great. Same thing, same thing. He was like, we got other people coming. I said, where do you need to be at in order for us to make this happen? Because I, I pitched him a number. It was it was low, but I just yeah. wanted to see where he was at. And he came in about 8000 higher than what I offered. And I was like, yep, mm -hmm. still a deal. I said, but I don't have the contract. I'm going to go and get the contract. You guys go out, get your dinner wait, or whatever. Wait right here. <laughs> yep, yep. I'll, I'll come back. I'll, I'll come right back. Right back. Yep. And that's, yep. and that's what we did. And then even with that deal, because I was a little nervous, it's one of my, my first deals and I put it out on uh Phoenix Facebook group. Everybody mm -hmm. was bashing me, telling me this is not a deal, so on and so forth. Yeah. And, but why everybody was seeing that in the chat, my phone is ringing. Like funny how that is. Yeah. Yeah. Let me get this deal. Let me get this deal. So we were able to make it happen, man. So what what do you consider right now, Anthony, as to be one of your better marketing strategies? So I did direct mail for the longest time. Probably that was my go-to thing for, for years. I would probably say for the, like five years, it was always direct mail. I just did postcards, basically. It wasn't the best response rate just because there's a lot of competition where I'm, I'm kind of at, mm -hmm. but it, it was still enough to, to make, you know, good profits on stuff. And uh, you just had to be quick about it. You couldn't just let your, 
for me, I, I, you just can't let your lead sit there. So if somebody calls you, you need to call them back ASAP to get the info and, and make an offer and get that property under contract. So that was one kind of strength that I had was I was a little bit more ambitious about getting things done versus, cause I would hear from the same person. Yeah. I tried to call this person, but they just, they never called me back or, yeah. you know, whatever it was. And here I was calling them within, you always want to try to call them back within five minutes if they left a voicemail, because if it goes past five minutes, if anybody knows sales, it, the, the percentage of getting a hold of them just drastically goes down after five minutes, after 10 minutes, after an hour, it just goes way, way down. So that's what, that's one thing I had, but so postcards work well. They still work well. We still do postcards. We still get tons of deals with postcards, direct mail, whatever. If you want to send yellow letters, postcards, yeah. the new fad right now, there's always a fad every year is a Google street view postcards where they put the, the Google street view of the, of the picture of the front of the house on the postcard. And then they yeah. send it to the homeowners. So that's the new uh, craze right now. Next year, I'm sure it'll be something else with, with direct mail, but text marketing is another new craze right now. We're crushing it right now with that. That's probably our number one. However, I don't know how long that's going to last, to be honest with you, Marcus, because they're coming out with more and more regulations yeah. against text marketing. Sprint and AT&T especially is, is crushing platforms that are using it. They're requiring people to put it in opt-out language. Yep. And they're at the end of what I'm talking about at the end of the text, it says, you know, reply stop to stop or quit to quit mm -hmm. and things like that. So a year ago, you didn't have that uh, platforms weren't requiring you to have opt-out language in your stuff and so you were getting really awesome response rates because your your texts look genuine and the more yep. genuine your texts look when you're doing this the more better responses you get and the more deals you get well i noticed this one of the platforms we were using at that time all of a sudden overnight just switched it and all of our texts now had opt-out language at the end of it automatically put in there i couldn't do anything about it yeah. and so i was a little skeptical about it and i said i was telling my virtual assistant that was running that for me I said, okay, let's, let's keep it going. Let's just try it, see how it goes. And I noticed our response rates go from like here way up high to boom, like rock bottom response oh, wow. rates. And I mean, we used to push leads all day long into our CRM to call back without opt-out language. As soon as they started implementing opt-out language, it was just, it just crushed it overnight. You can, you still get deals with it, but it's not as high as it was. So I'm, no, I'm noticing more regulations with text marketing, just like RBMs. Remember when RBMs came out? Yep. And that was a new craze two, what, two years ago. That was a big craze. Yep. Yep. And that was just, that was killing it. I was getting tons of deals with RBMs. All of a sudden states like what, Florida. Um, I think there's another state out there that completely, especially Florida is what I heard. Yeah. That had Florida. completely banned, banned outlaw it. They'll, they'll get a hold of you so fast. If, if you RBM somebody in Florida, just because of all the stuff that's been going on there. So, but I would say those are the, the top two right now. Text marketing, as long as it'll last um, until something crazy comes along. And then, postcards tried and true direct mail that's always going to be there uh, there's really not much regulations as far as that you can send anybody a, a, a postcard mcdonald's sends postcards and pizza hut sends postcards you can send a postcard so yeah. there, there's nothing wrong with that if they're getting deals you're going to get deals from postcards i don't see any regulations really coming down on that but that's that's the marketing channels right now you just pay attention to what changes because things change over from year to year little nuances like that like opt-out language like restrictions that's what you, as a business owner, a wholesale, you have to pay attention to that stuff in your marketing or else it's really going to kill your business if you don't take it and then, and then try to move on, try to fix it or something. Absolutely. And one of the things that I always hear is, like you said, when all of these new fads, tried and true fads come out, text messaging, RVM, cold calling, everything like that, the main staple is still always direct mail. 
no matter staple. Yeah, yeah. No matter how much people try and say direct mail is dead, direct mail is dead, direct mail is dead. Mm. You got to go to SEO. You got to do all of these other things. But when right. those things start tailoring down, although you may get a lower response rate with direct mail, it is consistent. You can consistently no, it's count it's, on those numbers. It's funny when everybody does uh, text marketing or our VMs or Google AdWords, and then when, when that marketing channel starts to kind of die off or die down, what does everybody go back to? Everybody goes back to direct mail, right? There's yep. a reason for that because it works. But people are trying to find something on top of that as well because you want to be like a you want to fish, right? So you want to have as many fishing poles in the water so you can catch as many deals. You don't just want to rely on direct mail. You want to have as many fishing poles in the water so you can catch a fish here, catch a fish over there, catch a fish over there. If you just have one fishing pole and that fishing pole breaks, you're not catching any fish. So you want to yeah. diversify and have many marketing channels. And you want to make sure they're good marketing channels, things that are going to get you deals, not that you're plowing tons of money into and you're not getting anything back. I mean, we all have stories about how we tried a marketing channel and for whatever reason, it just did not work how we wanted it to work. Yeah. I have my stories. I've wasted tens of thousands of dollars on, on silly stuff from coupons, coupons, back of receipts and things like that of grocery stores and stuff, trying that out and, and wasted tons of money. So I, I wish... I had a coach back then tell me, stick to, basically stick to what works. Keep it simple. Stick to what works. If it works, then multiply it and, and just do that. Don't try to, you know, run after the next shiny object. You can just be very careful about it first. As soon as you notice that it's not giving you a return, scratch it from your, scratch it from your business. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's okay, guys, to go out there and test and see what works and what doesn't. Because some people are having massive success with cold calling. Some people are still having massive mm -hmm. success with text messaging. Some people are having massive success with cold emails and direct mail and, and billboards and things like that. You have to see what works for your business because mm -hmm. same thing we did, direct mail, text messaging, cold calling, bandit signs. You have to find that product or that marketing niche that works for you and then test those other resources. You don't have to dump tons of money into it, but just test it and see, see how it works for you. So Anthony, everyone talks about these huge, having all of these people on your team. How are you yeah. running your business currently? Yeah. So kind of funny you mentioned that because I kind of got caught up in that. That was another fad, right? That was a, a and they come and go every, every year. There's always the the newest, biggest thing that's, that's out there. I think it was probably about two years ago, a lot of people were really pushing this uh, brick and mortar type wholesaling business model, right? Kind of like you want to have a brick and mortar lo office location, then you want to hire this, an office secretary. You want to get uh, two or three or four acquisitions manager working under you. Then you want to get two, one or two dispositions managers run, yep. running under you. Uh, you want to get a marketing manager. You want to get uh, cold callers. They had this office mentality that was the craze and everybody was doing it. And even I got kind of caught up in it. I was like, well, wow, I, I've been kind of doing everything in my market. Even though I was in my market, I would do things virtually. I was doing things over the phone. We would make offers over the phones. I would do uh, contracts over the phones. I would do everything over the phone with my VAs. But I was like, I'll give this a, I'll give this a shot. So I got a brick and mortar location, got an office, got a, a real address, all that stuff. Got a secretary, hired an acquisitions manager, the whole nine yards. And I quickly found a couple months into it that we made, we did deals, but it wasn't the lifestyle that I wanted. I did not yeah. want to create another job for myself, going there at eight in the morning, every day, making sure people are there, they're on time, 
making sure people are doing what they're supposed to do, accountability, KPIs, tracking their numbers, making sure the acquisitions manager is, you know, doing everything correct on the appointments, hiring and firing more acquisitions managers and things like that. I quickly learned that, wow, this, this really isn't for me. Now it could be for, for somebody else and that's fine. I mean, there's people crushing it with the whole brick and mortar type business model of wholesaling. If you can do it, that's awesome because you're going to make a lot of money doing it, but you have to have a lot more time and management to do it because you have to be really geared towards that because that is a full-time job to do that until you get to a level to where basically you can hire a CEO to run it for you and then you can kind of fully step back, but that's, that's that's pretty high up there. Anyways, had that, it was fine. I just knew that it wasn't for me. I, I liked when I could work at home in my pajamas, drink my own coffee, go to my own bathroom, see, see, my, see my daughter when I wanted to see her, you know, play with my dog if I wanted to, just do what I wanted to and, and do it on my own time versus making sure I'm in the office, people are in the office, things are, things are that way. So what I did was I basically kind of dissolved that model and I went back and I stuck to, again, what is tried and true, what works. And what worked for me was my over-the-phone type wholesaling model. You can call it virtual or yep. whatever, but basically, I, I did I did virtual in my own market. I just I, I and it was a blessing. I hired a couple more VAs, and I do everything that a brick-and-mortar location can do, but just with virtual assistants doing that all for me. So you get yeah, you get more time. You you don't have to stress about overhead. You get more of your deals. I mean, if you structure it correctly, you can do this virtually, whether in your own market or in other markets, and you don't have to have this mega huge team to make six figures a month. You really don't. Yep. And, and that's the thing is that people always think that bigger is always better. And you got to have this lifestyle by design. You knew that, hey, I don't want to have to put on a shirt and tie or put on shoes to go to work. I want to no, be able to no, climb out of the bed and go right <laughs> to my office and, and make money. Yes. And that's and and really that's being ahead of the game because right now, I mean, that's the way everybody has that's to That's what everyone's going operations. back to. Exactly. Everyone's exactly. going back to that right now. Yeah. Every, and, and especially with the with things going on right now in the news and stuff, it's everyone is kind of reverting back to a, a more virtual type home office type of model. Right. So I kind of was, I was, I did that before all this, thank God, but yeah, stick to what works. Um, and what worked for me was over the phone, my over the phone virtual model, which, uh, which I love and I, I enjoy for myself. It provides me more freedom, more flexibility, just doing things that way. When you're setting up this virtual model, and I'm not talking about virtual in all of these different states, but even just virtual in your own market, what do you need and how do you get there, Anthony? How did how did that come about for you? Yeah, so, I mean, it's actually simpler than what it is. You just kind of take all the parts that you do in your business already, and then you just need to outsource. So you would hire VAs. Step one is hiring your first VA if you don't already have that. Uh, a virtual assistant, whether you hire a local one or one from the Philippines uh, or some other country, step one is hiring a virtual assistant to delegate what is eating up most of your time. Like I said, mine and probably everyone, everyone's time out there, uh, the first thing is on the phone, right? Talking to sellers, gathering information. You want to relieve yourself of that so you can now outsource and automate other things like maybe automate some marketing, right? Because I'm not in my systems doing text marketing all day or cold calling all day. That just takes too much time for me. I have a now I have a virtual assistant that does cold calling or other marketing channels for me. So now I can work on more automation and delegation. Okay. So having having virtual assistants is key. 
like I said, whether you hire them locally or in another country like the Philippines, like I did, that's definitely step one, get them trained. Okay. Training is very, very easy. And then uh, we have a, a system that we use to track their hours. So I think we use a system called time clock wizard. There's a ton out there, virtual okay. time clocks basically, but we use that to track the virtual assistants hours. So basically every morning, nine o'clock central time, my VAs are clocking in and then they clock out, you know, eight hours later, just like a normal nine to five full-time job. That's just okay. how, I mean, they're, they're real people. So obviously they, they work eight hour days. And that's basically it. So, so, so what all the tasks you, that you would do? So, what all? What are some of the tasks that you can hire a VA to do? I know you talked about a cold calling. So, because it seems like you're you're almost completely hands off, and I know that that model would be definitely a plus for most people, especially those who are saying, "Okay, I'm still working a full time job, but I do have the resources." to hire out to get some things going and that can help mm -hmm. them come off of their full-time job. So what are some of the, what are some of the jobs and the responsibilities that you have the VAs to do? Yeah. So number one and most important is talk to sellers. I have my, my VAs. There's a few of them. That's all they, all they do all day long, Monday through Friday is, is talk to sellers gather. So a seller calls in, they have a script that they follow in my CRM hi, thanks for calling. And then they gather all the information about their, their property, their motivation, their timeline, asking price. After they get off the phone, they have a little property analysis area that they fill out for me as far as maybe getting a rough estimate of the uh, ARV repairs based on the square footage of the property. As soon as that's done, they can send it over for review, what I call it. Basically, they can okay. send that to me to look over the property and determine what, off, what our offer amount should be. Gotcha. From there, I even take a. From there, I even take it a step further, and I have my main virtual assistant, kind of like my virtual assistant manager, who helps run my whole team for me. So now I don't even have to run my team. She'll give the seller a call and now make that verbal offer on the phone. Okay. Okay. So we'll kind of call them up. She has a script that she follows along with several rebuttals because sellers are going to ask you, "How soon can you close? What title company? Things like that." And so your virtual assistants have to be prepared with a list of rebuttals for objections and things like that. So she will make the verbal offer. Another, some other tasks are getting uh, new leads from our lead sources, putting them into uh, maybe an Excel spreadsheet and then uploading them to our system to get ready for marketing. We do that on a weekly basis. Posting properties for sale, we do that. And marketing, all any type of marketing, whether it's cold calling, testing, anything like that that requires a lot of your time, that's what I have them do. Okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. So what we're going to do real quick, Anthony, because I want to dig further into this. Let's hear a brief word from my sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk more about your VAs and how you have your business set up. That way we can see if it can cater to some of the people that are listening um, to this podcast on today. So let's take a moment and hear a brief word from my sponsors and we'll be right back with Anthony Price. PropString is the industry's number one tool for locating distressed properties and connecting with highly motivated sellers. With 100% coverage across the U.S., PropString provides a deep dive into any property's specific details, making it easy to generate lists of distressed properties and contact to the owners. No other product or service can compare. Gain access to MLS property details like expired listings. You can pull accurate comps, even sell prices in non-disclosure states. This information is typically reserved for licensed real estate professionals, but it is also available to you in PropStream. 
gain access to unlimited nationwide property search, comparable home sales, targeted marketing lists, and owner contact lookup, built-in marketing tools, hundreds of filters to search and sort leads. Start your free seven-day trial now by going to proud.propstreampro.com slash we love it. All right, Anthony, welcome back. How are you, man? So we have Anthony. Great, great. We have Anthony here based out of St. Louis that's doing virtual deals in his home market. Yes, you heard that correctly. He's doing virtual deals in his home market, but he's also doing virtual deals across the across the country as well. Right now, as we come back, we're talking about VAs and setting up your team and how to make that happen. If you don't want a brick and mortar business, how can you set up your team to be successful as a real estate investor, as a wholesaler, and kind of have this passively come off as a passive passive job, basically. Mm -hmm. Well, that kind of sounds oxymoronic, passive job, but have that passive income coming in from the virtual setup. So, Anthony, just a rebuttal, guys. It's him, and he's using a team of VAs to do his marketing, do his cold calling, do his task and everything like that. So, Anthony, how do you go about finding these VAs? Let's start with how do you find them, and then we'll go into how do you train them. Sure. So the very first VA that I hired, I actually hired through a, I guess you would say an outsourcing company. There's plenty of, you know, Filipino-type outsourcing companies out there. Basically what they do, and I'm trying to think of some off my head, but basically what they do is maybe uh, you you pay a fee, they go out, they find you three applicants, okay? They, you tell them what you're looking for, strong phone skills, good English, et cetera, et cetera. They'll bring you three applicants based on that. And then you interview those three applicants and then you hire one of them if you want. Or if you don't, then you, they'll bring you three more typically. So basically, that, that was the first time. I hired my first VA. She was great. She's actually been with, my first VA has actually been with me ever since. And she now runs my whole team for me. Okay. So, so uh, one she, of the companies, guys, sorry, Anthony, just want to jump in. One of the companies that you can go to is, is I think is Resva Real Estate Virtual yeah. Assistance, something, uh, yep, something like that. that. Yeah. So guys, you yep. can just go, you can Google virtual assistant companies and outsourcing and, and you'll, you'll tons, be able to find yeah. them. Yep. So yeah, yep, they're pretty, they're pretty easy to find. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Not to, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. So that was the very, very first time I hired a virtual assistant. Now, after that, I kind of wanted a little bit more control of, okay, the applicant process and, and things like that. So what I did was, and I think this is actually a really good way. I joined, if you actually just go to Facebook and you type in Filipino VA in, in the Facebook search bar and you search under groups, you just type in Filipino virtual assistants or something to that nature, right? Filipino VAs. Okay. You're going to have I mean, probably 50 groups pop up in front of you and they range from maybe a couple thousand members to, and this is what I do is I join the ones that have over 50,000 members because there's a lot of virtual assistants in the, in these groups, all looking for work, all in the Philippines. There's some groups out there when you type that in and you join them that have over hundreds of thousands of members in them. And you got to think these are all VAs that have experience working for, sometimes even working for investors already that are looking for work. And so what I do is I join probably about, you know, 10 of these groups, right? 10 or 20 of these groups. And then I have a, uh, a VA job posting ad 
that I post with qualifications, must have good internet, must have a headset, must have a quiet working location. Nobody running in the background or dogs barking or anything like that. You know, good, good internet. And what I'll do is I'll post that job ad in there in all of these groups with a email to send me a brief audio or video recording of themselves, probably no longer than 30 seconds, just explaining who they are, why they think they're a good fit for the job. And then the resume. And what this will really do is you're looking for somebody with good communication skills and good English. So when you go through all these applicants from there, you just want to make sure they have good English, they have good communication skills, because if they're going to be awkward on the phone, they're going to be awkward with the sellers, right? So that's something that I look for. And basically, after you post your job ad, you're going to get slammed with applications of virtual assistants. You just go through and pick out the ones that you think look best for the job, whether it's based on their resume um, and their communication skills in English, and you set them up. What I do is I set them up for an initial interview. And my virtual assistant that's been with me, she'll actually interview them first, kind of as a uh, pre-screening type yep. of uh, qualification. If they, if they can make it past her, then they can make it to the second round of interviews with me. So that way, because I used to do all the interviews. Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't have that much time anymore to do all the initial interviews and then do the second interviews. Okay. So I have her now do the first interviews and if she likes them and they have good internet and they have a good headset and they have a quiet, you know, office location and they seem professional, things like that. Then we schedule them for an interview with me where I just ask some follow-up questions and then we hire them. Then I hire them directly there. And that's basically it. That's how I hire them. I don't mess with third party outsourcing anymore. I just post them in those Facebook groups. And that's really been the best because now I can kind of control the whole flow of it. And it's been amazing ever since I started doing that, probably about a couple of years ago. Gotcha, gotcha. So what resources do you need to provide for the virtual assistant? So let's just say if, first of all, you got virtual assistants that's doing what? Let's kind of recap again. What all are they doing? Yeah, so, yeah talking to sellers, making offers, sending contracts, sending follow-up emails and texts, calling our cold follow-ups, communicating with uh, title companies sometimes, building buyer's lists handling new leads, putting in new leads in our database and things like that, getting ready for marketing, cold calling, text marketing, getting postcard campaigns ready. I mean, a lot of, a lot of things, right? So now I can work on it and not in it so much. Okay. So what are some of the resources that you need to provide for them? So let's just say for someone that's, that's calling, calling the title companies or calling sellers, do you have to provide them with a dialer or are they using like Right. service on yeah. Google or what, what are you doing? Right. That's a good question. So basically what I provide my VAs is a, a CRM, right? We all needed some kind of a CRM to keep track of your leads. And also I use a CRM that allows me to make calls via the CRM. Cause that was always one problem. When I first hired my first VA, I was like, well, how is she going to make calls from the Philippines with her, with a cell yeah. phone or with Skype? How does this work? Well, luckily at that time, the CRM that I was using came out with the ability to make calls because I was using another software. At that. So I had my CRM and then I had CallRail is what I had in the very, very okay. beginning. Remember CallRail? Well, I'm sure we yep. all used CallRail at one point in time. Well, CallRail was basically just to track people calling you and then you could call with CallRail. Well, luckily, I try to consolidate my softwares as much as possible. I don't like to have a bunch of tabs open with this and that. I like things yep. to kind of stay integrated as much as I can. So anyways, my CRM, I'm able to make calls out of my CRM. So I use FreedomSoft is okay, the one that gotcha. I use. Yep, I've, been, yep. I've been using that since 2013. There's, some, there's, there's been some others out there. Podio was real big all of a sudden three years, about three years ago. And that got real big and everybody was doing Podio stuff and Podio integrations. And I was like, 
I tried it for about a, about a couple of weeks and I noticed <laughs> that integrations would, would die or break and you would have to, you would have to constantly keep Podio aligned. Whereas yeah. this was right out of the box. I wanted it to kind of keep it simple. And luckily I did because now everyone kind of switching from Podio back to whatever else. But, but anyways, so FreedomSoft allows you to make calls, okay, in and out. So my VAs can now answer live calls inside of FreedomSoft. It rings their, their desktop so they can answer, answer with their headset and get the information. So you want to provide them with a way to make calls, a way to clock in and clock out because you have to keep track of, of hours, right? Yep. So you need to find some kind of virtual online clock in system, which is what we say earlier. I used Time Clock Wizard. I believe that's okay. what it is, but there's a lot of other ones out there. Just something simple where they can, you can put in their pay rate and then you can put in, and then they can clock in every morning and every night. Okay. Okay. And that way at the end of two weeks, however you decide to pay them, whether you pay them weekly, every, bi-weekly, monthly, whatever, you can go in there. I click generate payroll and it generates the payroll. By the way, I don't do this. My VA does this. So they actually generate the payroll to me, send it to me, and then I can just uh, pay via PayPal. Done. Okay. So, so PayPal is your your payment mm -hmm. partner. Yep. Okay. And the reason why I'm asking this and going in depth is because I'm going to make sure I have all of this in the show notes. And then if you yep. got affiliate links or anything like that, let me know. We can, we can add sure. that also. So you, you got this whole system or business set up and system set up where you're just using VAs. How many do you have? Mm -hmm. How many VAs do you have on staff? So right now, I believe we have six virtual assistants. I'm actually in the process of hiring a few more because there's also things that I'm looking to do and grow on, on the side, right? Okay. With other marketing channels, maybe having a, another uh, division for strictly cold calling. But uh, we're looking to hire a couple more VAs, but right now I think we have six VAs. I have one VA that kind of runs the whole team for me. What, what we do is they'll clock in and then my main VA manager will delegate all the tasks that need to be done today. Like, hey, we need you and you to do uh, uh, cold calling today. We need you and you inside of FreedomSoft answering live calls and calling all the cold leads that we haven't been able to get a hold of yet. And then they'll have their daily tasks that they do. And after they're done with their daily task, we move them on to something else, whether it's making cold calls or text marketing or, or some admin type work that I need to get done for that day. And, and that's basically the, the daily routine of my virtual assistants anyways. Wow. Wow. Seems like you got this thing pretty dialed in. Man, I this tried. is good. This is good. <laughs> this is really, really good. So tell me, you got this virtual team set up. Now, virtually, are they cold calling in other markets? Because I know you say you're primarily St. Louis, yeah. but you're doing things in other markets as well. Tell us about that. Yeah. Share that with us. Sure. So yeah, I'm dabbling in some other markets virtually because I want to diversify with everything, with, with, with wholesaling getting bigger and things like that, getting more well-known, I think it's kind of important to not keep all your eggs in one basket. I want to try to diversify into different markets, at least a little bit. Because if you're doing, let's say you're doing three or four deals a month in your home market, but if you can also do one or two deals in a virtual market, that's just extra profits, extra insurance is really what I look at it as, extra insurance that, hey, if, if my market ever gets saturated or whatever it may be, I still have at least these two other markets on the side that are still doing other deals. Cause you got to think if you're doing a couple of deals a month in your home market, even if you're doing one deal virtually a month in another market, that's 12 deals. Yeah. Well, yep. well, if you're in two other markets, that's an extra 24 deals a month, uh, 24 deals a, a year, yeah. which is yep. huge profits. And you're not really doing much. You just need to find. So I already have my virtual model set up. I, I can plug and play my, my business anywhere. Now I can go into any city, you know, any city, Dallas, Austin, New York, wherever, 
and just plug it in and it works. And the only thing I need to find is, is maybe a boots on the ground, which isn't very hard to find boots on the ground to put lock boxes on properties, maybe to show properties to my buyers and yep. to uh, take photos and send them to me. That, that's about it. And that's easy. Again, you just get on local Facebook groups and those markets for real estate investors. Hey, my name is so-and-so. This is what I do. I'm looking for a boots on the ground to do this and this and this for me. Message me if you're interested. And that's exactly how we find local boots on the ground that we can rely on to do that. So I don't have to be there. All right. Sounds good, man. Well, man, I definitely applaud all of the resources that you provided today, Anthony, and everything that you gave us because you gave us a wealth of knowledge, especially for people to transition from that brick and mortar over to a one-man operation mm -hmm. but with the virtual team. And for those people that are just getting started and they're thinking, well, I need somebody for this, somebody for that, somebody for this, they can go to that virtual model. So guys, I'll make sure I have all of the information that, that Anthony provided us in the show notes, where to find VAs, how to vet VAs, things like that. Because we, we use a similar model, not as in-depth, um, but we use a web form for the VAs Let's just say if we put the marketing post out there, we put the web form out there for them to upload their resume, do a mm -hmm. little video, upload the link. That way we can review it, things of that nature, just to qualify them. So, Anthony, let's go into our hot seat questions. We are going to put Anthony on the hot seat, man. Answer these questions for me. And let's see how fast you can get them done. Starting over, what would you do differently? I would probably look for a, a coach to kind of keep me more in line with what marketing works and what doesn't work. So I can kind of amplify what I do right out of the gate. Because when I got started on my own, I didn't know uh, what really worked and what didn't. I just kind of had to guess. Bandit signs, postcards. So I would say getting somebody, getting a coach or something to help you kind of guide you. Because that saves so much money when you don't waste money on marketing that doesn't work, to be honest with you. I would have excelled my business just, just doing that, getting a little bit more advice. And it's funny that you bring that up. I'm going to slow down our hot seat questions a little bit because oh, thank you. the more and more I have these high level investors on the show, that's one of the things that they always say is in the beginning, I wish I would have hired a coach because I would be a lot further along my journey because and I, go yeah, ahead. You know what I didn't know. So I, you don't know that when you start out, right? You know, it's only five, seven, 10 years later that you're like, wow, I would have saved so much money on dumb decisions or marketing channel that I tried, paying a coach this much money would have saved me, I mean, way more than hiring the coach in the first place. And But people kind of think about it in the opposite way. And it's like, you actually save so much money and you get to where you want to go a lot faster. That's probably number one. Because one of the things people say is, well, the money that I spend on the coach, I can spend on marketing. Yeah, you can do that, but how much of that marketing money is going to be wasted? versus hiring that coach, hiring that person in the beginning, like you said, to say, okay, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do yeah. that, to where you save that money. And then that money yeah. that you spent on a coach actually is paying you back and rewarding you for the time saved, the dollar saved, and things like that. So thanks, man, for yeah. clarifying that. Yeah, I mean, just to let you know, one of my first years, I made 60 something thousand dollars. I think my very first year of just doing this by myself. And I thought, like I said, that was a million dollars. That might as well have been a million dollars to me. I have a coaching student actually right now who I, I kind of do some stuff on the side with. 
And I, I tell him exactly what I do, what I know, all my system. He made $93,000 in three months on, wow. in his first year. I mean, he's on track at that rate to make half a million dollars. I mean, I wish I had myself as a coach when I first got started so I can make $93,000 <laughs> in three months versus making 60-something in the whole year. But just to let you know the power of having a coach and systems and knowing, knowing exactly what to do. Yeah, it, it definitely amplifies and expedites your, your growth mm -hmm. in the business. And, and even back then, I mean, coaches were around, but they wasn't as prevalent now. And guys, just beware. There are some coaches out there that's mm -hmm. only closing one or two deals, and now they think they're a coach, they're an expert. Make sure you vet the people yeah. that you're, you're looking to work with. Very important, yeah. Okay, what is one characteristic you believe every high-producing investor has to have? You have to have a drive to succeed. If you really don't want this, if you're not going to succeed about it, you have to have that passion. Like I said, my, my reason for my passion was I was just, I was tired of being broke. I was so broke. I couldn't let that, I, that wasn't even an option. I had to just do it. I had to succeed. I had the drive to get it done. If you just have that drive and you're just an animal about it and you just bulldoze through those seller leads and make those calls that you need to make, it will all work out. You, you'll get the systems. You'll get the automation. You'll get VAs later. Just do what you need to do now. Even if you already have that. Just get through it, and 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 I would say just just have that drive and that passion to to succeed in this, and you will be successful. If I can do it, you can definitely do it. All right, sounds good. Sounds good. Can you give us any kind of book recommendation? Well, I mean, as you can I see, see your I, like I see your library back there, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a there's a ton. All of Gary Keller's stuff is great. Four hour work week is awesome. That kind of teaches you more about automation and delegation. Profit first is another good one. Okay. And what's the what's another big one here? The one thing. That's the one that everyone's kind of talking about as well. The one thing. Okay. I'll make sure I have that in the show notes, guys, so you can go and download those books and get those books. Tell us, Anthony, in parting, what words of encouragement can you give a struggling investor? Yeah, just be positive in in these times. It's if you're getting started and you're struggling, you're not quite sure what to do. It's just There's so many free resources out there, whether online, join local Facebook groups. There's tons of other people out there that are also getting started. I remember when I got started, I was just constantly asking questions in local groups or, or other groups on Facebook. How do I do this? How do I talk to a title company? Just just keep keep that passion and, and just keep that keep doing your daily task to, to get to your first deal. And then when you do, just multiply that, okay? You how to do this. Just do a little bit of research. Don't give up. Don't quit. Because if, if, you, if you do, you're just going to be back in square one, right? So there's no harm in trying and just keep at it. There you go. There you go. So Anthony, how can we get in touch with you? How can the listeners reach out to you if they want more insight or coaching or mentorship or, or just to kind of dig into what you're doing a little bit further? How can we reach you? Yeah, so you can reach me on Facebook anytime. Join my Wholesaling Mastery Facebook group. We have tons of members in there, always asking questions, giving advice. I'm in there giving advice, posting videos, things like that, throwing out new techniques, new marketing things that I'm working on. So Wholesaling Houses Mastery, join that group. You can always reach out to me there. Okay. All right. There you guys go. You, you got it. You go to Wholesale Mastery Facebook group. You can reach out to... Anthony there and tons of other investors. I think you guys have what, 20,000 yeah. members or yeah. so? Okay. Mm -hmm. So 
Go there and get the information that you need, guys. So, Anthony, yep. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Again, thank you for yep. being a guest on the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. So, guys, you hear this information from Anthony. Go to the show notes. Get everything that you need to get. Go join this Facebook group. Be responsible and take action. And, guys, always remember to enjoy the journey. All right, guys, I know you got something from that. I absolutely know that you got some valuable content out of that. So take the action, get out there, get started. Believe me, he's a one-man band, but have different VAs that's working in his business. That way he can still live the lifestyle that he wants, yet bring in the, the income and the revenue that he needs for himself and his family. It's possible if Anthony can do it, I can do it. You can definitely do it too. So reach out to us. Thank you for being a listener to the podcast, watching us on YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. If you need any of that information, you want to be a part of this We Love Equity community because we're all about community. We're all about equity and learning how you can go from X to Y, go from working your nine to five to making money passively reach out to me. You can find me on my Facebook channel at MRCS Maloney, Marcus Maloney at Facebook, Instagram, MRCS Maloney at IG, LinkedIn, YouTube, MRCS Maloney at YouTube. Come on, join us, be a part of the family. No upsell, no pitch. We just want to make sure you get started in the right direction and in the right way. So family, we love you. Until next time, always remember to enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at M Maloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.